So many of you may not know this, but I wasn't always planning to be a pastor. I actually was going to play in the NFL. <laughs> and I would probably still be playing if it wasn't for these lights in our Crosstown Rivals Stadium. You see, I was having the game of my life. I had had a fumble recovery in the end zone. I actually kicked the extra point after. I had a couple of receptions on offense as well. So I was playing both sides. It was a phenomenal first half. But here's what happened. We were playing the Fremont Packers, and this was in Michigan, and, and they had these crazy lights that just beamed awkwardly. It just wasn't a normal kind of stadium. And the quarterback, just before the half, they, were, they had 80 yards to go. It was like 25 seconds to go. We knew we were going to go into the half just blowing this team out. It was a phenomenal moment. Well, I was playing defense, and the quarterback came back, just looked right at me. And I'm positive he looked at me because the lights got in his eyes as well. And he threw the ball right to me. All I had to do was catch it, intercept the ball, and just walk, because nobody was around me, 20 yards for a touchdown. But what happened instead was the lights got in my eyes, and it bounced off from my chest, went up in the air. The ball would have been incomplete, but it goes off my chest, and it had time for the receiver to catch it, go 80 yards down, <laughs> and score a touchdown. I can still hear, because the stands were packed, I'm convinced, with NFL scouts. There, I mean, it was like one of those kind of games. I can still hear the crowd cheering so loudly as they get all this energy. We go into the half, the second half, we were so deflated because of my horrible play and everything fell apart. I mean, I knew that was the night. If I would have just intercepted it, I would have gone right into the end zone, signed, skipped college, and signed an NFL contract that night. I mean, it was one of those great moments, but those stupid lights got in the way. You see, blame is such a gift. Blame keeps you from these past 30 years from having sleepless nights remembering that moment because I know I was a great player. It was just those stupid lights. And now you can say, well, that's just a lighthearted example. Blame, I would dare say, is one of the great examples of what destroys culture time and time and time again. I mean, just think of how culture thrives on blame. We just love it. The dog ate my homework. I, we love to blame our parents. My dad was an alcoholic, and so it's just, you know, everybody in my family always had this problem, so it's just passed on to me. It's not my fault. The devil made me do it. Coronavirus, that's a fun one. We can use that all day long right now. We never have to take responsibility for our actions if you have this thing called blame tucked in your back pocket. You can just kind of, well, blame it on your school for not educating you well. And you can blame it on ADHD and you can blame it on the bad medication because the doctor didn't know what they were doing. And you can just go on and on and on. And you can skirt through life doing just fine as long as you can blame others. Or you could do what the scriptures teach us to do that we're going to talk about today. If you have your Bible, we'll go into Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to see how we need to learn how to take responsibility. 
Because as long as you blame your kids for the chaos of your life, as long as you blame your terrible boss for your lack of promotion, as long as you blame just the fact that that person doesn't understand you and that's why you couldn't land the great date, as long as you have all these excuses, you're going to struggle in life. And I would dare say blame is one of those things that has destroyed our ability to have loving relationships with people. Uh, We're in the middle of just a a short three-week series called Golden, in which we're really studying the whole concept of how to do unto others as you would want them to do unto you, to live the golden rule, to live the golden life. And as you could tell, we could have thousands of topics because there are so many things we could talk about around the issue of what you should do to be good to others as you want them to be good to you. So it's really hard to pick the topics. And so as we were studying scripture, it became really clear. The Apostle Paul writes to these people in Galatia, which is modern day Turkey. And they lived in a, in a type of community that is very much like Western New York. So much so that, I mean, in, in so many ways, when you read it, it almost feels like Paul is writing these letters, these words, right to us today. He's describing a people who have tension in their community and, and lots of backstabbing and tension and people just climbing the corporate ladder and really a, a well-to-do area that seems to be doing well, but the society is filled with tension And so we thought, let's just look at some big blanket issues. So last week we looked at gossip. And, you know, if we just get gossip right, everything would change. And I'm telling you, if we could get this issue of blame under control and start to take responsibility for your part in the tension between you and that other person, you'd start to have a golden lifestyle. You really would. So let me take you there as we read together in Galatians chapter 6. I'm just going to read a few verses, and each one of them have a really significant in-your-face way to live. The first one is very, very, very clear. Paul just calls it out. He says, I want you to own it. I want you to look at your life, and I want you just to own it. Look at how he words it in Galatians 6, 5. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. I'm telling you, (laughs) if we would just obey this one verse, you would see society change in 180 degrees, just like that. Think about that. If, If every one of us, just in this room, and those of us watching online, if right now, if every one of us just said, from this point on, I'm just going to, what I just said, I'm going to own it. I'm going to take responsibility for my own conduct. When I cut somebody down, I'm going to say, I shouldn't have done that. When I have a lack of forgiveness in my spirit, I'm going to own that. I'm going to really have the spirit of saying, I, I want to be responsible for the tension that I've created. So number one, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to own it. We have a good relationship with a bunch of different churches around the area that have joined on with our our team. We have a preaching team that works really well. And one of those really cool, phenomenal pastors in in Buffalo, his name is Andre Clark, or we call him Shep. He teaches and coaches and does a lot of ministry to a lot of different people, but he pastors New Direction Church. And he had one of the greatest statements when we were talking about this idea of owning and taking responsibility for your life and not blaming other people. 
he, he said these words. He said, you know, it, it really, if you think about it, it takes two punches for a fight to actually happen. If somebody hits you, if you take responsibility and don't hit them back and say, I'm going to do what Jesus taught us to do and I'm going to turn the other cheek. Do you realize when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, the first time you get hit is actually oftentimes a reaction, like somebody doesn't know how to handle their emotions and they just hit you. What Jesus is saying by saying, turn the other cheek, is he's saying, don't fight back. Actually give them an opportunity to think about what they just did. In other words, teach them to own it. Teach them to take responsibility for their actions. And in so doing, you're going to change society if you take responsibility for your own conduct. Another way to say it would be this. Have you ever wanted a do-over? I know if you play golf, I, I love golf for one reason. They have these things called mulligans. You hit a bad shot, you have a chance. I remember the first time somebody taught me about a mulligan, I was like, say what? You mean I can just pretend like that didn't even happen? Wipe that clean and I can just start fresh? Okay, I'll take the mulligan. I mean, don't you ever just in life wish you could just take, I want a mulligan, I, I want to do over, time out, can we start again? I would say this one verse is one of the best verses to remind us you actually can start to have a do-over. If you take responsibility for your own conduct, if you own it, what happens is you actually start the relationship anew. And you have a chance to say, do you remember what I said yesterday in a heat of the moment when I just yelled at you? I could blame you for your bad behavior as well, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be responsible for what my problem is here, and I'm going to love you and take responsibility for my conduct. It's the closest thing I can think of for that fresh start, time out, let's do over. Many years ago when I was in college and my early days of following Christ, I had the privilege of doing prison ministry. We would do uh, what was called a catwalk and there was a spot where you could go in and, and walk on this side and you had these guys that were just on the other side in the bars and we would spend two to three hours um, every Tuesday or Wednesday night just talking with each of these gentlemen. And I got to tell you, what I learned through those two years of prison ministry was this. The men who took responsibility for their own actions were some of the freest men I've ever met. Truly free. Yeah, they were locked up. They were behind bars. But inside, they just were alive. As the Lord got a hold of them and they realized, I, I sinned. What was I thinking? They were taking responsibility for their own conduct and so doing were set free. As long as we have the ability to blame other circumstances, for the teenagers to say, my frontal lobe is not developed yet. For someone to say, boys will be boys. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower uh, said the greatest hunting, the easiest hunting expedition is the hunting expedition for a scapegoat. Any one of us can easily find somebody else to blame. Any one of us. It wouldn't take but a second for you to figure out it's that person's fault. But the person who has the courage to say, yeah, but where was my part in that fight is the person who gets set free. So the first thing that we learn here from, first, from verse 5 is own it. 
the, the second thing comes up, and it's this. This is going to be a weird concept, but sow it. What do I mean by that? S-O-W, sow it. What do I mean by that? Well, verse 7 of that same chapter, Galatians 6, he goes on. After you take responsibility for your actions, now I want you to sow what you've taken responsibility for. Here's what he means. Verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that same sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. This is the concept of sowing and reaping. That's why I say sow it. Make decisions to start a pattern in which you're realizing when you own and take responsibility for your own conduct, you're going to move toward the golden lifestyle because you're going to just start doing good things onto other people. And that will, in turn, come back to bless you. I, what if back in the spring, some of you right now, any of you gardeners, and right now you have a nice harvest, you're getting some really fun tomatoes coming in and uh, the cucumbers. And imagine if I were to come to your house back in the spring and I said, I want to show you how to get fantastic watermelons. And I, and I come over to your house and, and I go and I start tilling up the soil and, and then I take out some, some, just some small seeds of poison ivy and I just sow it all the way through there and I say, just wait, just wait. By the, by, by the fall, I'm certain we can pray hard. Watermelon's going to come up and you're going to love the watermelon that you see. <laughs> you would, there's no question you would say, are you a fool? What are you thinking? Don't do that to my garden. You just ruined everything. Because we all know what you sow is what you reap. That's why right after, did you notice what it said? God's justice is not mocked. You see, what he's saying there is if you have a pattern of not owning your part in the fight... If you're always just saying angry lies about someone, don't you realize you're as well as planting poison ivy? Every time you backstab somebody, or like we talked about last week, gossip behind somebody's back. Every time you don't forgive somebody. Every time you say nasty words to a person's face. All you're doing is sowing seeds that will grow up and they will come back to hurt you. God is not mocked. He says so clearly. So why not take responsibility for your own part in any tension you have with... I, just think about people that you have tension with right now. I hope you don't have tension with anybody. I hope there's no feuds or fights in your life. But uh, a crowd this size and people online, I'm, I'm certain there's several of us who have lots of tension right now. The Christ follower, the person who lives the golden lifestyle, do unto others as you want them to do unto you, understands this concept of saying, wait a minute, what's my part in this? And if you start to take the high road and make the decision to say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm going to cool this, the jets here, and I'm going to go to that person, and I'm going to apologize for my part in it. 
Now, now I know what some of you are thinking, because if I were sitting there and listening to this, I'd be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But there are times it's totally not my fault. I mean, what about those times it's not even close to your fault? Like, it may very well be that your mom truly is goofy like you claim. That boss really is nasty and has not a nice bone in her body. I get that. But what this is talking about is your reaction. Because you're, you're going to have people who instigate a fight with you in life. You're going to have people that come contrary to the way you're living your life. My statement about this sowing it is how you react to whatever it is. Will you start to gossip behind their back? Will you start to cut them down? Will you find ways to passive-aggressively hurt them? And they don't even know that you hurt them. You know what's happening in that moment? You're sowing seeds. And God says, I'm not mocked. I know what you did. I know, I know what's going on in your heart. Lay that before me. That's, that's the point to following Jesus Christ. Is I mean, he's not just the savior of your soul for heaven. He's the savior of your life in everyday living. Let him save you. Let him rescue you from that fight that just started and you didn't know how to react well. And so repent of that and say, Lord, forgive me for sowing seeds that took that hurt and took it down 10 levels. But it felt good, Lord. And I'm going to admit it, man, when I, when I watched her face or his face, when that rea it felt good. Forgive me, Lord, for that behavior. I don't want to sow seeds that come back to bring a, a horrible harvest. This concept shows up in Hebrews as well when the Hebrew writer, he says, do not sow any root of bitterness. You know, somebody hurts you. You get hurt by them. You want to start to deal with it in an unhealthy way. What he says, the Hebrew writer, is when you sow a root of bitterness, it says this, literally, it will grow up and by it many get wounded. If you want a lifestyle that is a cycle of pain, a cycle of yelling, a cycle of chaos, keep doing what you're doing in the sowing seeds of grumpiness at somebody who hurts you. Or you can choose the golden lifestyle. Say, I'm not going to treat them the way they treated me. I'm not going to, because God is not mocked. Whatever I sow, I'm going to reap. He goes on, the very, very next verse. So after you own it, after you sow it, now he says very clearly, repeat it. Keep this pattern for the rest of your life. Just repeat it. Look at how he words it. The very next verse, verse 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good, taking the high road. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Isn't that a gorgeous picture? That is a gorgeous picture of him saying, do you realize what you're doing? Every time you choose to repeat a good behavior of saying, you hurt me, I'm not going to hurt you back. I'm going to do to you what you should have done to me in the first place. I'm going to rise above this moment, and in so doing, I'm going to do the right thing. And at the right season, God, it'll bring a harvest. I mean, what that's painting for all of us is a picture of our future. 
It's allowing us to see that, yeah, you may be in chaos right now, but if you choose to rise above this moment, you're going to see great favor to come in the next season of your life if you're willing to choose wisely right now. I'm going to own it. Now I'm going to sow healthy seeds and I'm going to keep that pattern up. You hurt me, I'm going to love you back. You gossip about me, I'm going to go talk to you about it and we're going to figure out a way for you to deal with your own anger at me. We're going to figure this out so that we don't have all of these seeds that grow up and hurt many. This is a much better way to live. I'm telling you, the world would be so different if we would just all experience this kind of lifestyle behavior. Repeat it. Again, that's why Jesus said 70 times 7. You forgive somebody. How many times? 70 times 7, which means infinite. Here's where that gets hard. Because I, I get tired of that. I mean, do you ever just kind of say, okay, can I just today... Have, have just a day off. I'm going to take a vacation from doing good and I'm going to curse that guy to his face and it's going to feel good. Like, do you ever just get tired of that? There's actually researchers who studied this very concept. Braumeister and Tice, if you want to research these, uh, these researchers, <laughs> uh, this is what they found. They studied the idea of self-control, doing good, being kind to other people, choosing to control yourself, being calm when everybody else is nasty. They created and conducted heavy research over many, many years, and this is what they found. They came up and coined a phrase, ethics fatigue. You know what that is? Anybody there? <laughs> ethics fatigue. I'm tired of doing good. I hate this sermon. Because I always have to take the high road. You know, in that moment when you say things like that, you sound like the big brother in the prodigal son story. His little brother goes off and parties, hearties. Woo, yeah, this is awesome. I love it. Life is great. And the son, the older brother, is sitting there saying, Dad, I keep doing good. So these researchers, you know what they discovered? They found out that self-control, scientifically, they found is an exhaustible resource. It's an exhausted resource. Meaning there comes a point where you keep doing good, you keep doing good, you keep doing good, you'll eventually get to a point where you're saying, just like the older brother in the prodigal son story, I can't do it anymore. I can't. So, so how, how do you navigate that? Well, ethics fatigue is real. I get it. Doing good is hard to do in a world where it seems like the loudest, angry voice wins. How do you navigate this? Well, the answer is found in the father's response to the older brother. I'm going to take you just quickly to Luke 15. Just one verse. You don't have to go there. Luke 15. Son, the older brother got mad. He's like, Dad, I'm so tired of this. You're throwing a party for the punk brother? He does all these bad things and I do the good things and he gets the party? And the dad said, representing the Heavenly Father, Son, you are always with me. In other words, I'm with you as well. And all, isn't this beautiful? All that is mine, says our Heavenly Father and the dad in the story is yours. Everything that is mine is yours. 
It was fitting, son, to celebrate your younger brother. To celebrate and be glad. For this brother of yours was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. Here's the good news for every one of us. Uh, That example in the prodigal story shows us that our God never gets ethics fatigue. Grace is not an exhaustible resource. You see, when you're down to nothing, this may be a cliche statement, God truly can now be up to something. The whole story of following Jesus Christ is not that you figure out how to behave well. The whole story of following Jesus Christ is coming to a place where you say, I'm exhausted of doing good. It's in that very moment when you really realize what it means to be a Jesus follower. Because Jesus says, that's why I went to the cross. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, he was sinless. And yet, at the, on the cross, his very actions were saying, it's my fault. Blame me for your mess and your mess and your mess and my mess and your mess and our mess. And Jesus goes to the cross and he says, take it. It's my fault. Do you understand what that's saying? Because then Jesus speaks into your story as the resurrected savior of your life. And he says these words, all that is mine is yours. Come, let us celebrate. In other words, what he's saying is the same Holy Spirit who raised me from the dead is going to give and empower you to raise you from your exhausted ethics fatigue of doing good and sowing seeds that are hard to sow when it's filled with love for somebody who deserves hate. But I'm telling you, you want the lifestyle that changes the world It comes from the power of the risen Savior who says, I will give you my grace. That, by the way, is why we call it amazing. Because it's never exhausted. And he's always able to say, I will give you your fresh start. I will heal the brokenness in your heart. And I know you can't stand that person. And if you see them one more time, you're going to take a swing at them. I know the pain inside of you. So come to me in your brokenness and let me fill you with my unexhaustible grace. All that is mine, the power that I have is yours to be able to get back up again and love them. That's where life begins. That's golden. That's what this is all about. But it starts with you owning and saying, I'm the one who has been the mess. I'm the one who needs help. I'm the one who wants to do the right thing, but I keep doing the wrong thing. Lord, rescue me. And you know what's going to happen, because I've experienced it many, many, many times. He's going to give you a kind of love that can only come from heaven. If you try to manufacture love for somebody who's unlovable, you're going to get yourself into a world of sowing bad seeds again. But when it comes from the Lord, it's, it's, it's a fresh start. It's the mercies are made new today, right now, to get that relationship back on track. That's golden. That's life. And so if this describes anything of what you're going through right now, 
I invite you to the, the very power of Jesus Christ in your life. I want to pray over you. I want to invite the Lord to give you his amazing grace. All that is his is yours. That you might experience amazing love for a world that is hard to love. So let me lift this moment before the Lord and lift you and me before the Lord. Oh God, thank you for the practicality of Scripture. It's just in our face. <laughs> when we look at uh, a season right now that is very messy indeed, from race relations and tension there to just flat out people afraid of each other because of are you spreading the virus? And so we don't know how to show kindness to one another. And the fear that we have inside of us, God, is so very real. Heal us, God, right here, right now. We are exhausted. We have ethics fatigue. I will be the first to admit. And so, God, break us down so that you can break us open for new seeds of life to grow out of us so that we can start fresh today. Maybe we need to do some apologizing to some people we've heard over the last couple of days. Uh, but God, right now, you are the one who makes all things new. And so make the marriages new, uh, parenting relationships new, the, the student-teacher relationships new. There's so much tension that can rise so quickly because of the stress of these days that we live in. God, give us a, a pandemic of love. There is just a movement. Of, we take what is wrong and bad and we turn it into so much good and bring a harvest of blessing to this world. So I thank you for each and every soul hearing this teaching today. I pray that there's just a, every one of us in our spirits a bended knee before you, remembering that you are the one who said, it's my fault. You took the sin upon you so that we can be resurrected in you. Thank you for that gift, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand in response as we sing together this final song.